my name is uh, Luke. And I'm BJ, and welcome back to the Side Quest Podcast. Wait, what? You fucking fumbled it, man. How? I just said, hello, my name is Luke. Hello, my name is Luke. <laughs> Fuck off. I just said something. <laughs> Eat a dick. How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the Side Quest Podcast. Uh, we got some shit to talk about today. Xenoblade 3 finally came out, the new Chainsaw Man chapter. Uh, I just realized what I said. Yeah. I just just burst the door open, what's up, bitch? I I remember uh, the first time I answered the Mo's phone, I said the same thing. I was like, hi, this is Luke. And they're like, oh, um, uh, is this? Oh, yeah, this is Mo, sorry. Nothing's better than that time that Mary picked up the phone at GameStop and just said, Mary! <laughs> Wasn't she, like, the very obvious, like, homeschooled, like, church girl yeah, kind of vibe? Definitely. She was fine to work with, but, like, there's yeah. definitely moments where you're like, all right. When you got to work with her because DJ wanted to put his 10-year-old <laughs> PP in her. Yeah. Always scheduled. But anyway, what have you been up to? <laughs> Just DJ slander for a bit. I mean, I could go on for days I, with the DJ slander. <laughs> I love DJ. I want to put that out there. The slander comes from a place of love. I, I do. He, he was... He, what, you didn't? I did. Oh, okay. I guess I was going to say, like, I, I think out of all the managers I had, he was the best one. As far as managers go, yes. As far as friends go, <laughs> F tier. <laughs> no, nah, he, he was cool. But yeah, I think, I think he did want to fuck Mary. <laughs> He did, and everybody knew. Yeah. Scott knew after a week of him working there. He was like, hey, I got to ask you something. Is something up there? And I was like, wow, Scott, I'm surprised you're this perceptive. All right, well, what what have I been doing? Um, so I... Not uh, women. <laughs> okay, well, that, well, that hit too close to home. That was a bit too real today. Thanks for that. Thanks for this, this steady reminder of how lonely I am. At least you got your twisted tea. That's true. I think I drank twenty of them at Matt's house the <laughs> Dude, other day. We we just kept. I'm surprised. I like we were all very clearly drunk, but like there was a point where it's just like I feel like I don't know what it was, but it just felt like it didn't affect me anymore. Yeah. Like because we were we just kept downing twisted teas, Trulies. There was that like peach mango, uh, fucking Angry Orchard. Every time I walked to the trash can, it felt like I had another armful of my <laughs> own cans. It was good, though. That butter chicken was definitely really good, though. That was great. Anytime Matt does the butter chicken, I'm like, fire. Every time Matt cooks, I'm like, mmm. Yeah, pretty much anytime Matt's in the kitchen, it's great. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's something we could talk about. I guess I'll start there. Uh, so we had kind of an impromptu, let's go to Matt's house again, mm-hmm. but not on a Tuesday. Uh, it worked out, because neither of us had to work on Sunday. Yeah. Well, well yeah. I, I did, and then I <laughs> called out. Cause I was like, "Fuck it, I'm hanging with the boys." Yeah. So we had one of those one of those days. It, it originally was just gonna be let's hang out like midnight, you know, get a few drinks in, play some Sonic, do whatever. And we did that, and we slept over. And then the next day, we just never left. Yeah. Like there were multiple times I think both of us could have left. Like that would have been like, oh yeah, this is a good time to leave. Yeah. But, but like we I, just never did. I at that point was like, I called out of work. I'm just gonna stay. There were a couple times where I was like, I like, I felt like I was intruding, but then it was just like, not even a minute past. I'm like, oh no, it's the boys. Yeah, and the nice thing about being over there is like, if you ever feel like you're being too much, you can just go 
chill on a different couch and just be on your phone for a while. Yeah, no, I, I, the vibe at Matt's house is always like the most like just chill, no judgment zone. Yeah, and it's it's very familial. Yeah, you know we're all in the same space, but we can all be doing our own things and still be content. It's very nice. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we hung out there and literally just like just hung out, played some games. Fall Guys was played. Yeah, I played a round of multiverse and got my ass kicked. Uh, we watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was the third. I think it's the third time I've seen it. Yeah, I I think it's the third time I've seen it as well. Fucking great movie. So fucking funny. I what I love about that movie is you. The first time I saw it, I was like, wow, he really toned down uh, himself in this movie. And then the last like twenty minutes, like, oh, there it is. Yeah, that that was such a good movie. And then we were we were dying laughing at the end just because it was so like out there. Yeah, it was so fucking absurd. You should if you haven't seen the movie, definitely recommend that. It's I think one of Tarantino's best for sure. I absolutely agree. Which I don't... I'm gonna be real. I don't think he's made a bad movie. I don't think so either. Like, I like Reservoir Dogs. I think that's a really good movie. Both Kill Bills are great. Django Unchained's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time is great. And Glorious Hateful Bastards. Eight's amazing. Hateful Eight's amazing. Have you seen the full Netflix, like, six-parter thing or whatever? Six-parter. It's like his extended version of Hateful Eight. If it's the one that's on Netflix, then yes. Well, there's two on Netflix. There's Hateful Eight, which is just the movie. And there's Hateful Eight, like, the extended version, and it's, like, maybe it'll be six, but it's, like, it's literally in three, like, episode formats or whatever, um, where you can watch it, and it's, like, it's split up into chapter chunks or whatever. Okay, the main movie is also split into chapters, right? It is, but, like, it's, you can watch it in one sitting, like, okay, the theatrical then, yeah, version. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the extended cut, but I will be meaning to watch that yeah. soon that was good i i thought that, that that movie's just great he he does a really good job with period pieces yeah which it hits like you get a, a sense of the period but also a sense of this is like the fantastical version of said period like because obviously django unchained is a very serious movie about slavery and like how terrible it is Yet you still look at Jango and go, that's a superhero right there. Mm-hmm. And like it has that fan- fantastical effect of it. But yeah. um, Inglorious Bastards, obviously, like the bastards being just these like <laughs> the most badass of badass guerrilla warfare fighters you could ever have. Yep. God, it's great. And then this movie where they. That's st- actually what BJ stands for. Oh, <laughs> Bast- Bear Jew. <laughs> That's, that's what your parents retroactively changed your birth certificate because they're yeah. like, yeah, this was this was a good movie. Like fifteen years <laughs> after I was born, they didn't tell you either. So when you go, you're like, oh, it's for Billy Junior, and your mom goes, <coughs> get stopped at the airport, and they have to like pat me down because I gave him the wrong name or something. It's the have you seen Hobbs and Shaw? Uh, yeah, we watched it. Remember? Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, the the fucking um. Dwayne, like, they get, all get the aliases, and uh, Statham's character gives Dwayne's character, like, the Mike Oxmall mm-hmm. shit. I'm like, hell yeah. This shit was fire. Yeah. But, yeah, that was a really good night. Uh, I'm glad Kevin was there. We FaceTimed Tyler and gaslit him into <laughs> wanting to come back to Tennessee. It's always... See, I, there's such a negative connotation of gaslighting. Sometimes just, gaslighting is positive. It is, yeah. And it's usually when it's like you have to gaslight someone out of a bad situation. Yeah, like Tyler's in. Yeah. <laughs> in shitty Texas. No, he he likes that place, from what I can tell. What's so good about dumb, dumb old Texas? 
It was a fire episode of SpongeBob. Absolutely. The other one is the what was the the Kung Fu Tower thing where Sandy and him have to go through like all the, the like the, the whole tower to. And they put on the Kill Bill jumpsuit. Yep. Or I guess it's more Bruce Lee. Pretty much same jumpsuit though. Yeah. But um, that was really fun. Uh, I anytime we hang out with Matt, it's always a good time. Like. And especially when we can do it, like, when it's not the normal Tuesday. Like, I love our normal Tuesdays, but there's a different attitude when we go on a different day. Yeah. And so is fire. Definitely. But, um, other than that, though, I actually haven't played too much more Judgment. I've, I've gotten to a point where, you know, someone's framed for murder and you have to figure it out. And you're like, cool. Um, well, that doesn't really narrow it down. It's like the third guy is framed for murder. Mm-hmm. Um. But, like, the the stakes are ramped up because now it's like, oh, shoot, this is now related to an old case Yagami had. And it's, like, bringing stuff to light. And you're like, oh, shit. So there's a lot of really cool things going on here. But um, the main thing that I've been doing is I've been reading a lot more manga. Um, I started reading Earth Child. Yeah. Earth, start, Earth Child? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fucking depressing. You were right. I told you, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm three chapters in, and I'm like, I want to die. Shit is sad. Just give it a minute. <laughs> it gets worse. Fuck you. Um, I am. Uh, I'm. I'm reading. I'm reading all the way through Bleach because, like, despite me loving that, I actually never read the whole manga all the way through. I would read arcs because I had watched most of the anime, and like, so I read what like I felt I wanted to read, and then I read Thousand Year Blood War, which was like the arc I didn't get animated at the time. So now I'm just going all the way through from from chapter one to fucking seven or six, whatever it is. I really like the art style of the early volumes of the manga. It's very interesting because like the art style of the early volumes is is definitely more cartoonish, mm-hmm. and I do like it. But there's something as and you can see it slowly, but then like once you hit like the end of like the the Arankar saga, and then like Fullbringer, there's just a change. Where yeah. the shading hits different, he's, Ichigo's it's, face gets longer and his nose gets shorter. Well, like everybody gets like more angular and a bit more rounder because like a lot of the early Bleach, it's like very like square and like just edges. Yeah. Whereas it's the newer ones, it's like more smooth. And then now you have like his Burn the Witch style, which is what the Bleach one shot was, which is very simple but still stylish. Yeah. Because like every character in Burn the Witch is like dripped out to a T it's fucking amazing and so like seeing seeing that that art style reflected into Bleach shows like you get like because when you look at like Oda right One Piece chapter 1 to whatever we're at now it's like oh you mean the filler arc yeah the entire (laughs) filler arc of One Piece you can see like subtle changes Mm -hmm. and like just kind of like a familiarity with it same with Kishimoto and Naruto it's like you can tell like okay there is a distinct difference but Bleach, like Kubo's art in Bleach, goes from like what you expect, like anime to look like, to almost what I consider like comic book level, because like the shading and like the thousand year in Fullbringer and Thousand Year Blood War, yeah. the way the way he draws characters is like he doesn't do just like like at some point he just stopped giving a fuck about the backgrounds, and like some people have a gripe against that, which is fair. But, like, the character details are, like, top-notch. Because he, he doesn't waste any time on backgrounds, just the character. That's one of the things with Tokyo Ghoul that I like. Like, the beginning is very, very standard 
anime style, and then you get further and further into it, and it just becomes more and more of this painting. Yeah. Cause he, oh, yeah. He's so good at that, like, painting style. It's on all the covers now, but God, it looks so fucking good. Tokyo Ghoul, its art was so striking, even from yeah. the beginning, and, like, once you get to re. You're just like fucking every time you turn a page, you're like fucking shit. I still open the uh, the art book that you got me for Christmas and look through it every now and again because it's just so striking and beautiful to it's look at. It's a stellar art book. And I can't wait to read Chojin X now. Yeah, that got a new chapter recently, and I was like, oh shit. I, I, I thought this was like not happening, but apparently he's like doing it on his own time. Yeah. Um, same with what Kubo's doing with Bleach, although he's working on the anime with the animation team, so he's not have time to do much else, but like. He, he apparently said in an interview recently, because a fan had asked him, like, is there going to be any new Bleach content? Because, you know, there might be some, the Hell Arc. And he goes, you know, when people ask me to do it, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> so he goes, yeah, when, when, people, when people stop asking, I might, you know, I might draw something. And, like, the entire Bleach, like, subreddit and Twitter were just like, everybody shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut the fuck up. But, uh, fun fact, I found this out. Apparently the reason Orihime and Ichigo... We're like dead set as the end game, like romance, which mm-hmm. it's a shonen manga. Who cares? But it's because someone, someone sent uh, Kubo like an angry Twitter DM way back in like 2008 or nine. Fuck. And um, he just full on like out of spite was like, "Yeah, go fuck yourself, kid." <laughs> and like committed to it at that point because the it was someone sent like a very hateful. Like, one of those, like, you know, like, oh, it should have been Ichigo and Rukia, and then the story would have been, like, they were... No, wait. fuck off. It's Rinji and Rukia. <laughs> well, the way they were saying it was, like, because on one hand, it's, like, sure, whatever. Like, talking down to the guy that created yes. the universe. They were talking down and saying, oh, your manga would have been better if you did it this way, and he just went, shut the fuck up and go eat, like, go... I forget what he said, but it pretty much was, like, maybe if you'd actually, like, maybe if you ate some dirt, you'd be, like, smarter or some shit. Mm-hmm. I was just, like... Man, no one, and like hearing, like you have to read exactly what he said. When you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, no wonder the trash talk from the villains was top tier. He's good with wordplay. Yep. And like, oh, it was so good. His story, his, his long running storylines are, are probably the weakest of Bleach. Like it's, it's funny. Like I would say Bleach has the weakest, like long-term narrative out of the big three. One Piece obviously having like the best. Fuck, the group chat's going on fire. Sorry if y'all can hear that. Who is it? Is it Matt? No, it's not Matt. It's uh, the work group chat. Fuck off. Um, fuck it. Uh, can I mute this? Uh, sorry, give me one. Hide alerts. Yeah, that'll work. Okay, hopefully that'll little stop it from like beeping at me. Sorry about that, guys. Um... But, like, yeah, like, I think of all the big three, to me, Naruto hits, in my opinion, like, the emotional moments the best. I agree. Um, One Piece has the best world building and narrative. And Bleach, in my opinion, has, like, the hypest moments. Yeah. Because, like, every time... Because Bleach, Bleach does, like, the generic shonen shit of, like, but here's my real last move a lot. But there's a lot of them that hit where you're like, oh, Fuck. And then it helps with the art style being as god-tiered as it is, and, like, the character designs, too. Yeah, and there's a lot of diversity in Bleach, which really helps the art. It's actually... I, I have said this, that I think Bleach has some of the best black characters in anime. Yeah. And then... I So I'm watching the Fullbringer arc to kind of catch up, because it's the last arc before Thousand Year. And, um... Dude, Chad just straight up says, like... Because the whole, the whole point of the Fullbringer thing is you have to, like 
bring it out of an emotion. Mm-hmm. And Chad's is he brought his full bringer powers out into the pride of his skin. And he says it in a way that's like, my skin's darker than most people here. And so I've been made fun of, belittled, but like, but my abuelo and like being, being, being half Mexican gave me a sense of pride. And I'm like, damn, they hitting racism pretty good in this one. That's another thing that I really liked about uh, watching the Bleach anime. When they actually cut back to him and his abuelo talking, instead of doing it in Japanese, they did it in Spanish. Yeah. Which was really great. Ble- Bleach, I think, it, it was so interesting. Cause, and you probably can speak to this because like, it's around the same age. You, being an anime fan in like the early to mid 2000s, you just had to pick one. It was you either picked you either were in the Naruto lane, One Piece lane, or Bleach lane, and it. I feel like most people went Naruto. Yeah. At least in America, I think One Piece is like the still the number one selling manga in fucking Japan. But like, at least where we live, it's like Naruto was the one. But like Naruto is the one, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that it aired on Disney, and it brought in a lot of people to that series but uh the way my anime pipeline went i started watching when i was still living at my grandma's in like the late 90s very early 2000s and uh i would watch toonami and what was coming on at the time was original dragon ball dragon ball z um yu yu Hakusho was on uh inuyasha was still coming on and fucking bo 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 bo. That was one. That was one of the weirdest things I've seen. I fucking love it. I I love bo bo bo, and I've been trying to collect the manga. But um, a couple years ago, they just took them out of bookstores. Mm. So I have like one, two, three, four, and six, <laughs> and uh, I'm still trying to find the rest. But I love bo bo bo. Um, Dragon Ball was the first manga that I actually read because I had some of the VHS tapes after watching it on Toonami. And then uh, for my birthday in sixth grade, uh, someone asked me, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, I want the three-in-one volume one of Dragon Ball. And they were like, they come to the party and they're like, we were really fucking confused about what you meant, but I hope this is the right one. And it, it was like the big Viz Big edition. Oh, hell yeah. For the like anniversary or whatever. And I, I eventually ended up collecting every volume of Dragon Ball that way. I'm still working on Z because Z's a lot longer. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I started with Naruto, not Naruto, Goku, and, uh, I didn't get into Naruto until high school, and even between, uh, Dragon Ball and Naruto, in that time period, I was very into Bleach, because it started airing on Toonami, I remember the first time it came on, and just watching that opening, and I was like, oh man, this is cool. Dude! None of the bleach openings miss. Even the filler arcs have fire openings. Yeah, like th- there's some Naruto openings that I'm like, ah, this is kind of whack. Or there's some like One Piece openings that I'm like, this is kind of whack. Uh, I think all of Full Metal's hit too. So that helps. Absolutely. Like, Even the OG series. But I think Bleach as a long running anime has the best openings. And we're I don't know how long Thousand Year Blood War is gonna be, because if it's because like this is what I love about. Like Bleach, Naruto, and these like they were they, they came on at a time. Yes, they had filler because of it, but they weren't like regulated to. We have to have like twelve to twenty four episode seasons. They were yeah. like, just finish the arc, just do this thing, and we'll go. And I'm like, hell yeah, got to keep making episodes till that motherfucker writes some more shit. Yeah, I was I will say of all the filler in Bleach, the Bount arc's the one you can skip. Every other one is interesting. The Zanpakuto War was good. 
That but, one I've been really itching to see, but every time I get to the Zompacto, uh, not Zompacto, but the Fulbring, whatever. Fulbring is not the, Fulbring. Fulbring's the fucking, the fucking stupid ass mod soul vampire cunts. Yeah, that one I just skip. I get there and then all my steam dies. Yeah, no, the Bounds arc is just the one you can leave. Yeah, I just refuse to watch it at this point. I I don't like if if our if like the side quest podcast gets like like higher higher tier. I would do it for a video, like, on YouTube. Like, I'm going to review all the Bleach arcs. Speaking of which, about it. we have to say a big thank you to all of our fans. We recently reached 1.2 thousand total listens, which I did the math. That's more than just our friends. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you guys for listening. It really means a lot to us, and I was really not expecting to see that number until we hit 1.2 thousand episodes. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that was a fucking, that was really cool to wake up to and, like, look at. I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you guys so much. But, yeah, reading and watching Bleach, uh, I, I'm watched a little bit more of Dr. Stone. Uh, I'm just, I'm just trying to has find. He, has he made it to the village yet? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, Dr. Stone's fire. Yeah. It, there's not a bad episode so far in my, what I, in my watch through. But, uh. Yeah, I'm just I'm 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 in an anime kick. I try to I want to try to find some anime. I want to find some manga to read. I'm gonna finish probably catch up to uh, Doron, Doron at some point. Kaiju number eight's fire, so definitely anyone who has not read it, read that. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much been what I've been doing. Mainly just watching TV, playing a little bit more Judgment. Uh, I played a little bit more Multiverses. That's fun. Uh, it it's a bit. It's it's weird to say, but it feels more technical than Smash, but it's not. Yeah, like I I know they have like a class system and everything, so I'm sure that adds something to it. But uh, I I'm really excited to play it when I finally have the motivation to. But uh, yeah. On the other hand, I uh, it's finally time. Yeah, I let me start with everything else, and then we'll lead into Xenoblade. All right, cool. Uh, today I read the new chapters, Chainsaw Man and uh, My Hero Academia. So let's get on the Chainsaw Man one real quick because I haven't caught up to My Hero. But Chainsaw Man. Chainsaw Man is picking up and I think they're like, all right, Dingy's going to show up. I think he's going to show up to, as Chainsaw Man and save the day. Yeah. Um, but I also, again, like I told you, what the, uh, the War Devil's immediately like, kill that bitch and make her your weapon. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no one's surviving long enough for this bitch. And that's that's one thing that I really liked about this chapter. She's like, I'm not invested in Chainsaw Man at all. And this girl's my friend. And this is really fucked up. And I don't want to do any of this. And she, like, argues with the War Devil. And she's like, you never even call me by my name. You just call me girl. And then the War Devil's like, well, you never call me the War Devil. And she's like, because that's fucking stupid. <laughs> I, I love their interactions. Like it, it is it is very much just Venom. Like yeah. it's Eddie Brock and Venom, but this time it's two women having it, or I guess women. I don't know what the War Devil could be considered, but Tiny Owl. Yeah, that weird <laughs> Tiny Owl thing. But I the War Devils. I love that we've only seen one of it. But the War Devil being the fact that you can make anything a weapon or any one. I'm like that's fucking cool. Did I, I cannot you, wait to see more. Did I send you that meme of um the uh that panel from when the war devil asks the guy to be her boyfriend was it the and she goes how big is that dick boy <laughs> he, goes, he goes small, small leave, leave me, me alone, alone. <laughs> and she just shocked that shit was fire i love i love like i like that we're not seeing too much of him yet 
Yeah. It's like, that, that's another alternative that I thought of for the uh, killing the bat creature. He shows up because he wasn't at school that day. Yeah. And he didn't show up to the club. Maybe he went to chase down the bat devil by himself. I, I'm very interested in, in how they decide to bring in Dingy because watch this arc be all about her. Right, like I like it, and I definitely I think it would I would be super down. I I would be a little sad I don't get to see Denji, but I like the idea of like Fujimoto going. I want it to hit hard. It's like arc three is Denji versus the War Devil, but this this one is like a full arc of we have to show the War Devil becoming the War Devil and like being a match for Denji. That would be great. I think this arc of just her is probably going to be shorter than the first arc. Oh yeah, for I, sure. I think it has to be because they've already established the world and it's, you know, it's main purposes and the history for the most part. So I think they're going to focus on the character for a bit, get through that. And then the next arc will probably start coming out with no hiatus in between. Um, cause I, I do believe this will be a short arc. Well, I think, I think it might be a hiatus cause he likes, Fujimoto likes to write one shots. Yeah, that's true. But, I, still need, uh, I still need to read Goodbye, Aerie. Apparently it was really good. But that that's another thing about this. This arc feels like a one-shot side story for the series. So, I don't know. Maybe he's merging his two passions. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see where it goes. And I think shit's going to hit the fan the next chapter with this bad devil. So, I'm like, super excited to see that. But my hero, on the other hand... All right. Uh, remember last week, I said... Uh, Bakugo's probably gonna die, and so are all the big three. Did he die? He did not. Fuck. And I'll tell you why. Okay. The big three jump in to save him. Okay, the big three are... Mirio, Nejire, and Sun Eater. Got it. And Sun Eater, as you all know, is like my second favorite character in the series, besides Fat Gum. And, uh... Shigaraki, at this point, has received so much power that he's unstoppable by regular people, regular heroes... So Bakugo's down and out. He's on his way to kill him. Mirio jumps in and he's like, you don't have any friends. And then that really pisses him off because... uh, Fucking loser. Yeah. Like, there's a part of him that, um, like, his mind has been completely scrambled and merged with uh, All for One, pretty much. But there's still one part of his personality that hasn't merged, and it's the child version of him that was innocent and still is in there that Deku was able to see. And uh, they, uh, Mirio is like, I can't keep up with him. Nejire, you try to get in there. She like gets cut pretty bad. And uh, they're like, all right, there's only one guy that can stop him. And it's Sun Eater because Sun Eater's power has no cap. Hell yeah. And uh, basically there's this two page spread where it's just listing all of the components that he just ate. And he fully stops Shigaraki's blow mm. with his shield. I'm like, let's fucking go. <laughs> so right now it's Sun Eater time. And he is the best chance they have until Deku gets there. And I fucking love that because he's amazing. And I can't wait to see what happens next. But that's where the chapter ended was he blocked the blow. And uh, yeah. This is the, the last arc, right? Yes. Yeah, so my hero's about to end. It's it's weird to think about that because like One Piece 
Naruto and Bleach, like I, I view all shonen in that lens. Those just went on for so long. Yeah. I kind of like that we're getting an era of Shonen Jump where they're not forcing the authors to keep writing. Cause, we like, need another villain. Gotta keep this shit going. It's just natural conclusion where they think the story should end. Like, Demon Slayer being only, like, 25 volumes was, like, a breath of fresh air to me. Because I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's all it was. And Demon Slayer, as far as its pacing goes, is very similar to My Hero. Mm. Because it's like, okay, they're they're learning. They, they face other villains. But those villains are there to increase the main character's power and understanding of what they can do. And then the last arc comes, and it's like, all right, this is the peak... We're going to dedicate like a hundred chapters to this shit. And uh, they do it well. Like Demon Slayer's last arc is one of the best. And I can't wait to see it get animated, especially after the budget of season two. Yeah, for real. Holy shit. The last season, especially when uh, Upper Upper 2, I think, shows up, it's going to fucking go off. I mean, it's why I'm hyped for Chainsaw Man. Like Chainsaw Man, it, again, it felt like one arc, which mm-hmm. it was. But it's eleven volumes. Yeah, that's a lot. That's like a that's a, that's most just manga's whole series. Hey man, fuck off. Um, but like, it's such an interesting. I'm just gonna fucking turn that off. Okay, sorry about that. Um, but like, it's so interesting to like really look into like manga because like that's why i love chainsaw man is because its pacing is so fast that yeah it felt like one arc yeah of a manga which would be like two volumes but it's 11 and then you look at like like i think chainsaw man could be the next like long running series because like fujimoto just doesn't run out of ideas yeah and chainsaw man just has such a robust world and so many concepts that are kind of hinted at but not fully explored yet that they can can do so much case in point we haven't seen Dingy yet. Yeah. And like, we all thought that's where we were going to get for the next, uh, part. But then it's like, Oh no, here's this new, new girl. And we gotta, we gotta see her first. And Dingy will be there in the background. But like, like the fact that, that Fujimoto is not afraid to do that shows me that like, if he really wanted to, he could keep Chainsaw Man going forever. Yeah. It's just as long as Chainsaw Man is a part of it in some form or fashion, he can keep it going. But that, that is, well, I don't think they would do it because they spend so much time on him. But they could kill Dingy and make another Chainsaw Man out of someone, too. I think I they could, but I, I think they're going to keep him around just because of, like, Puchita, like, sacrificing himself and the whole thing with, with, uh, with that. I think it's just, like, central to the plot. Yeah. I think Chainsaw Man ends when Dingy ends. So, like, whenever that is and how that ends. I, who knows? Maybe his final, the final fight is with the Darkness Devil or, or whatever. Who knows? That would be pretty fucking crazy. But, yeah. So, anything else you've done before we get into the big big boy? Uh, I played some more Monster Hunter Rise. I've, Are you doing Sunbreak? Uh, I no. will when I get to the point where I can do it effectively. Okay. But until then, I'm not paying for it and just having it sit around. Um, but it it's a really fun game once you figure out what weapon you like. And uh, I've finished all of the village quests, and now I'm moving on to the hub stuff. Um, so I've finished the the story, quote unquote, because uh, credits roll after you beat Magnamalo, and it's like, all right, you did it. Here's the heirloom sword. Go do your thing now. And then it's like, 
hey, we got a really fucking urgent rampage going on. You need to get out here and fucking help us. And then you do that, and there's a cutscene after that where uh, there's this ancient dragon in the sky that connects to one of the quest maidens, like, takes over her mind. And uh, it starts speaking through her, and it's like, where's my queen alone for so long? And uh, the the quest maiden is, like, really fucking distraught because she's got possessed, essentially. Yeah. And the village elder's like, that. I've never seen one of those things. That's got to be some ancient motherfucker. We got to kill that son bitch. Yeah, kill that son bitch. <laughs> yeah, so the the post game story, I guess, is just about killing that son bitch. So I'm I'm really excited to get to that. I've gotten to the point now where I can face some of the real ass monsters. Yeah, and that's really fun. Um, some of them are really challenging. The faster ones, I fucking hate, but it makes me feel really good when I cut parts off of them because it's like, yeah, motherfucker, hit me with it again. I'm gonna take it. But uh, I just started trapping monsters too, which is really fun because you just kind of set up a tiger trap in the jungle and one of them runs through it and then you just pelt them with fucking roofies until they fall <laughs> asleep. Um, but even when you don't kill them, it feels really satisfying. So the gameplay loop is really good and rewarding. Collecting parts of monsters and making weapons and armor feels really good and rewarding. Um, and I really hope that they keep the rise formula for a while because the movement and everything in that is just so good. But, uh, yeah, past that, I picked up the other day when we were hanging out, we took a little detour to GameStop and I finally picked up my, uh, AI, the Somnium Files to Nirvana, uh, collector's edition. And I was really surprised at how big it was. Because the uh, the first game comes in a box that's the exact same size of the Xenoblade ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, oh, I wonder what's in here. Popped it open, full statue of Iba. And uh, we got to looking at it, noticed that there's like, in the game there are parts where her body becomes transparent and it's just like veins and nerves. And they actually molded that into the plastic and it's really fucking cool. It was a very nice statue, like all things considered. Yeah, it was a solid, solid collector's edition. Yeah, the the price of the statue for me paid for everything else in that box. Even, like, I know the game's going to be incredible, but that statue alone I would have paid that for. But, uh, yeah, I haven't started playing it yet because I just haven't beaten Somnium Files yet. So I will do that next. But right now... fun. Well, before you get to that, fun fact, I was able to find the Naruto Ultimate Ninja Storm Legacy collector's edition thing which is like the steelbook and art book yep it also comes with like a boruto blu-ray thing that i still haven't watched yet but i will at some point i probably will this week because it, it's apparently like the 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 ultimate ninja storm version of boruto mm. but on like a blu-ray so i'm like oh that seems cool nice so i'll probably watch that but yeah that was a really good find uh and i was i bought two other games live alive which i will get to at some point i've yet to pick that one up and I know even when I do, I won't play it for a while because Xenoblade is my life now. Yeah, I ha- I also bought Xenoblade 3. So BJ will, will definitely be the main guy talking about this. I will get to it in my own time because I at least want to finish Judgment before I jump into a new large-scale game that's going to take every ounce of my fucking being. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll see. But yeah, so BJ, what would you say? Like, Explain Xenoblade 3. Like, do you Just go in. Go off. Uh, So you played Torna. You played Xenoblade yep. 1 and you played Xenoblade 2. Take. I am sadly caught up because I, I, I haven't played X. I dabbled in X, but 
Uh, but in the in the main continuity, X is outside of that. Okay, yeah. So I played one, two, and Torna, and one and Torna are my favorites. I don't like two. Yeah, but uh, I I will play X just for the people wondering. I've been wanting to buy the collector's edition of it because it's like retail price on Amazon. But I also really don't want to break my Wii U out, and I know as soon as the fucking expansion pass for three ends, it's gonna get a Switch port. Well, I I think I would still buy the collector's edition just to have. But that that's my thing though, because they they did a, another collector's edition for definitive edition. It was still different enough from like when they did like stuff for the 3DS and the Wii. But like that's kind of the thing, is. I wonder getting like getting the how much of it do you think is gonna be new shit or if they just repackage some stuff, right? I'd be fine if they repackaged it. I um, would I would still buy the Wii U one just to get like the deluxe edition stuff for like relatively cheaper. And yeah. then and then just buy like again, depending on whatever they do for the collector's edition, so I don't know. But that's the thing. They've done a collector's edition for all of them on Switch so far. So I know they will do one and the art book will definitely be the same and that's really what you're buying it for yeah so that i'll i'll wait on that i'm i do have the standard edition of the game and i'm just holding off because i really don't want to play it on wii u but um that's fair uh three i really wanted the collector's edition as did everyone else and nintendo said fuck you north america uh it was super easy to get in every other country um japan europe was super easy to get which is shocking but Nintendo America's website is fucking dog shit. And uh, even if you could get it in your cart, it would kick you out of your account, make you re-sign in. By that time, it would be gone. And uh, it's a good thing all those people on fucking eBay got it and selling their order confirmations. So that's really nice of them, selling that shit for as much as the Switch is worth. Yeah. But um, my, my thing with that is, like, I would, I'm, I'm definitely going to wait for the scalper price to drop. Well, that's, the, that's what I like about scalpers these days. After Corona, scalping went way up, and people just collectively kind of went, all right, I'll wait. So now you have people that are out thousands of dollars sitting on 50 PS5s, and that's what it needs to be. So as soon as these motherfuckers are refinancing their houses and selling the Xenoblade 3 Collector's Editions, then I'll buy one from you. But until then, fuck you and your mom. Um, well, it's the same thing with like Xenoblade Chronicles, the Definitive Edition. I think that was a shorter print Collector's Edition, but like I do want to get that at some point. It's a pretty good one. Yeah. It's it's got as much stuff as the uh, the Xenoblade Two one, but I don't think it has a steelbook. Did they do anything special for just Torna, or is that just here as a release? They they had that physical edition, but that was that it. was it. Yeah, yeah. They didn't do a collector's edition, which I I think would be awesome if they printed one now, just to say like, hey, here you go. I. It's one of the reasons why the the idea of Bayonetta 3's collector's edition is so appealing. Because I'm like, oh, you mean I get cases for all three of them? Yeah. I don't know like why that's so good for me. That would have been such a good idea for Xenoblade 3. Well, like I I would I would have changed because all the Xenoblade like games have now the same kind of motif, with the exception of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 being just the Monado, whereas 2 and 3 have like the the big the characters yeah. facing a Titan. But I, I think it would have been really cool if they had done a three K setup like with that, just the sword with the Monado in the center, and they have art of that now. Yeah, for, or for the, the expansion, expansion pass, pass. Yeah. it's the Monado, the um, the Aegis Sword, which is just called the Aegis Sword, no actual name, and then I guess you call it the Lucky Seven, the new one. Yeah, but it's it's hard to explain. You got to get there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and just start this conversation with. All right. So. 
What I like about Xenoblade 1 and Torna is how much it emphasizes the characters mm -hmm. as characters, right? The biggest gripe I have with Xenoblade 2, and I don't really hate the fact that Rex is how he is, because I get it, right? It's one of those things where it's like, hey, Rex is just... He's meant to be like, I'm cool with characters who are just like unflinchingly good people. Um, I like Deku, I like Naruto, like I like these characters, but like Xenoblade 2's character writing but felt the like... The thing with Rex is he doesn't have internal conflict until someone says that he should have internal conflict and he's like, wait a minute, am I an asshole? <laughs> it, it's one of those things where you can definitely tell where that game had its like budget because the gameplay of 2 is great. I think that's phenomenal. I think the open world, open world, like areas are great. I love the combat. I love exploration. Like everything else about that game, I really liked. Mm -hmm. It's just the main driving force of the RPG, which is a story. I was like, fuck you. And like, it's the reason why Torna like pulled me back in aggressively. Cause I'm like, this is what I wanted from, from two. I wanted characters to be, I wanted them all to be different characters. Like the thing with, with Xenoblade, too was like a lot of the blades that you got in that game were just like all right um here's just a generic design that we made here's that we a put. well here's a really cool design that we made but then fuck you they're just like all right let's go through anime trope number five yeah like each none of the characters felt distinct enough of like that they felt like their own person they all just felt like they had to fill a quota and, like, most of the women were just like, all right, but they all have to like Rex. I think that's why I have such an affinity, ironic affinity, uh, I have such an affinity for Morag and Bridget in that game because they're just bad bitches who take charge and they, like, they're leaving the party all the time because they're like, all right, we got shit we got to do for our country. You can fuck around for a while by yourself. And they're, like, the most competent characters in that game. Well, um, it, it, it's, it's another thing, too, is, like, Pyra and Mytha, right? They are just, like, one's the soft-hearted one, one's the loud one. And then what's the, what's the like, what are their character traits? Well, they're, they're the swords for your character, and uh, they really want Rex's dick. And I'm like, give me more. I want more. And I got a little bit more of that with Torna. Like Torna was able to give you a really like a really solid prequel, really good characters. I think they Torna felt... is the main reason that Mithra is more loved than Pyra. <clears throat> because you see way more of her personality in that. Oh no, yeah. Mithra's my favorite because of Torna. Like playing two, I was just like, fucking hell. I played it because I was I was because you convinced me to buy it. And I was like, I spent how much on this stupid ass collector's edition? I'm gonna beat this game, god dang it. So I beat it. Cause again, the gameplay was fun enough that I was willing to like sit through some stuff. And the the overall plot of Xenoblade 2 is solid. It's just the characters. Like that that is the and for a lot of JRPGs, that's the driving point. Mm -hmm. You play Final Fantasy 7 because Cloud, Aerith, Tifa, Barrett. Like you play because those characters. You play 10 because you wanna you wanna hear uh, Waku Waka. You wanna hear that yeah, motherfucker be Waka. racist to the Albeds. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Um, you wanna hear Lulu's seductive voice. You wanna see Luna and Titus's relationship. Like you wanna see all of that because the characters are cool. Playing through Xenoblade 2, I'm like the plot's good, combat's good. Man, I fucking hate these characters. Yeah. And so my first question to you, which you've answered a couple times, but on podcast, how are the characters, how is your party? The party dynamic, everything else, like, do they all feel like they fledged, fledged out characters? 
They do. Down, they sorry. they all have very unique personalities. They're all distinct from each other. They have things in common that they you know bond over. They are things that they differ on that they fight over. Like they basically the party is split in half, and then in the prologue they come together, and that there's a lot of animosity there, obviously, because they're from two sides of a war of nations that has been going on for longer than any of them even know. And uh, after that point, there's a lot of like bonding and realizing that I'm only, let me say this. I'm only just past chapter two and this is the best Xenoblade game. That the, again, that brings me a lot of joy to hear because like, I love one. I played one on the Wii. Mm-hmm. way back in the day because like that like I was huge in Final Fantasy and I wanted RPGs and fi- the Wii at least if you like it didn't have an R- a Final Fantasy game like a full-fledged one like it had side games there was the Crystal Chronicles game with that you know fucking butt-bouncing beach mini game or whatever the fuck but there was never a Final Fantasy and Xenoblade was the closest to that that I was like fuck yeah this game is fire yeah and a lot of that is because um a lot of the team from Xenoblade 1 had been veterans from the Final Fantasy series and everything. One thing that I'll say is that in 2, 2 especially, but even in like 1 and sometimes Torna, Torna's not very long, but you still kind of get this vibe. Yeah, Their gameplay styles and things that you can do in combat that you don't get until 10, 9, 8 chapters in, Xenoblade 2, Xenoblade 3, I mean... I'm in chapter two, and I feel like I've gotten everything that I can do with the combat, and I can feel fucking cool doing a chain attack, because... Like it, it doesn't feel like... Oh, this is It doesn't feel like, oh, if, if I had, like, 50 more levels, I could do this effectively. Yeah. No, I'm already getting full chains. Um, the fusion characters, I've already unlocked uh, three of them, at least. I know there's more, because there's the cat girl one in the trailer that is not in my party yet. Um... But uh, basically, they get their own skill trees where it's like, okay, you can unlock different arts for them. And it feels like all the systems are open to me, but I I need to work better to build them up. It's not like, okay, I'll get to chapter like fucking 13 and then I'll unlock the Pyramithra fusion and then be able to play the rest of the game. It's like, no, all the systems are here already. I just have to master them. That to me is a way better system than like... All right, well, now you're on chapter 50, which is the last chapter of the game, but here's one more Here's thing. the ultimate Monado. Yeah, it's like, fuck you. Um, like, I love hearing, like, obviously, I know they're, they're going to bring you some new shit, mm-hmm. but it, I like to hear that, like... But e- even, they, they just did bring me some new shit in chapter three, but even before that, like, there's stuff that you can do that you feel like, okay, I'm going to spend a lot of my playtime trying to master this system. Does it feel organic where you get the new thing and it's like, I've mastered this, and now here's something new that I can add to my already, like, repertoire yeah, of things? because I'll, I'll give you one specific example. Okay. All the characters in the Ouroboros group, they, uh, they realize that they can see these icons over each other's heads with their iris things, and they're like, huh, I wonder what that is. And, um... It starts off with Noah looking at Mio, and he's like, you're the only one that's, like, filled in for me. The other ones are, like, blank silhouettes. So he he changes some stuff in his iris, and then his class changes. 
I saw that was a thing that that we that you have. Yeah. So uh, you basically you gain a class by having someone fight alongside the class that you want to unlock, and then once you get there, you can rank the classes up to ten. So I spent uh, roughly five hours grinding. I, I've only got fifteen hours in this game, and I'm in chapter two, and that's a lot of it's because I've just been level grinding. But um, you fight alongside each other, and then you gain like affinity for the classes, and then that makes you a better sword fighter or a blocker or a sniper or whatever. And then you can basically assign roles to each character because they can unlock each other's special abilities from different classes, yeah. and you can kind of mix and match some things. Um, so there's a lot of room for like, okay, what's my perfect build for every single character? But then you get into chapter three at the very beginning and they introduce a concept called heroes. Heroes are party members that are just guests. Okay. And you can fight alongside them and everything. Cool shit. They, you know, help out in the story for a bit and then they leave because that's what the story necessitates. But when they leave, one of your characters would be like, oh, that fighting style, I can do that. And then you unlock that hero's class. Oh, shit. And then you can unlock the class for the rest of the heroes by having them fight alongside them as that class. And before this point, the class menu just has a little chibi icons of each of the characters, which is six. And I've gotten every character to at least half of the classes that they have unlocked being level five or ten or eight. But uh, after I got my first hero, I opened that menu again. There's like 50 other fucking classes you can master. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was like, all right, I'm almost done with the class system. And then it's like, nope. <laughs> so uh, I'm really excited to see what some of the other classes are and how they evolve like the existing. There are three classes like healer, blocker, and attacker. And I want to see what the nuances is yeah. in each class. Um, th- there's just always a moment to keep you striding for more in every system that you're trying to unlock the characters are amazing the story is very it's different than other xenoblades kind of because in every xenoblade there's kind of a a thing where it's like oh i don't know what the outside world is like this is all i know but in this they were child soldiers and they have been child soldiers their whole lives and now they're almost to the end of that term where they have to die (laughs) And, uh, they, uh, I don't know how much I can say. How, uh, here, let me just ask questions. How does this world fit into Xenoblade 1 and 2 so far? Uh, you can tell. Like, uh, is it, is it a very clear, like, this is where it's connected or is it like? It's very clear, but I, I want to know more because one of the first areas that you go to is Melnath Shoulder which is on the Gormati Titan in Xenoblade 2. Yeah. And you get there and you're like, this looks nothing like Xenoblade 2. This is like some sort of valley. And like in Xenoblade 2, all the Titans joined with the land. And um, the main goal after Chapter 1, and I'm still trying to reach this point, is you have to reach a, a city called Sword March, which is the, uh, the Bionis or Mechanis sword stuck out of the ground way in the distance and some guys like there's a city there and uh all the characters are like what the fuck is a city 
because all they know is military colonies and they think that's all the world is. So it's very interesting seeing them discover more about the world. They, they finally like, I'm not going to say too much. Don't like spoil too much. Yeah, obviously, but like just kind of another thing I I have to ask is like, it's just really interesting seeing them question what their lives are about and what this whole thing is. Cause remind me again, cause it's been a minute since I played two. What was the connection for Xenoblade two and one? Like, cause obviously there was that after the connection was, um, the biggest one is Klaus. Okay. Because, uh, in Xenoblade one, they talk about how, uh, the main villain is a God from another world. And then you get to the end of Xenoblade two and you find the human version of Klaus who was the scientist that basically split the universe with the Zohar. And you find out that he is literally split in half. There's a portal going down the middle of his body. His his bad ambitions have become the villain of Xenoblade 1, and there's a point where you can hear Shulk give the whole we're about to kill a god speech coming through the portal. And he's like, oh, I'm not long for this world. I'm the only good part of me left. You... You, like, six, the main characters of Xenoblade 2 will inherit this world, and you have to make sure that it goes on and survives. So that is one of the biggest things. Uh, Alvis is another big connection. He is the third component, the third uh, Aegis, as it will. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the biggest connections there. But in 3, it's like, oh, you're just on Melnash's shoulder. Here's Gar playing. Like, like, it's all one world. Yeah, the worlds have been literally meshed together. Um, they're, on the cover of the game, there's uh, the... God, what the fuck is that name? It show Well, because I think the cover shows both a Titan and a, like, a mech thing, right? Yeah, the, the Titan is the, uh, the one from two, like the crystal cave kind of looking Titan where you have to yeah. go inside of it. And then the sword is the, the big Mechanis, Bionis sword. Um, so right away, when you look at the cover of the game, it's like, okay, the worlds are the same and there's one element of it that I'm not understanding yet. And I'm very interested in where, um, they have these extinction events, which kind of just pop off randomly. And, uh, essentially what it does is it takes a huge sphere of the universe and just like deletes it. So in the game, you're walking through this desert and one of the characters is like, we got to get the fuck out of here. This shit happens here all the time. And they look up at a mountain and it kind of looks like the Keyblade graveyard where there's like a huge sphere cut out of a mountain. But like the points of the mountain are still there. So it's almost like it's been taken and transported to another place. Looks like those old Minecraft mountains where like there's just a giant thing cut into it. And you're like, how is it still standing like that? And there are still like little points of it on top that are just seemingly floating in the air. Yeah. So I, I'm really interested to see more about this world. Um, the first hero that I got is a very clear homage to Morag. Hell yeah. And I was like, oh, yes, I love Morag. Um, a lot of the characters are pretty heavily based in the earlier games. Uh, one of the characters is very clearly like a descendant of Bridget because she has the same flame hair, but it's in just like a side ponytail. Well, one of the characters, like the, the cat girl, I feel of your team, Mio, I, I literally look at her and go, you were Nia's kid somehow. She has like full on. She has the corrupted core. Yeah, like full stop. Like I remember looking at the characters and I go like, that's you're related to Nia somehow. 
whether it's grandkid. And then that that begs the question of like, so Schult or no, because so Rex fucked. And you're yeah. like, yeah, you're like, huh? But like, it, dude, it, it just the world building of Xenoblade has always been interesting to me, even in two. Like, I, I was like, okay, cool. So this blade thing, because it was kind of like, oh, the Monado in one, but then you go to two, and it's like, no, 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 there's more. And you're like, cool. And like what you're saying, you get to the thing where it's like, oh yeah, the world was split in two, and Xenoblade two is one of those paths. Xenoblade one is the other, mm-hmm. and now it's like part of the plot for Xenoblade 3 is how the fuck did they mix back again? Yeah, and that... There's other elements that allude to it. Like, there's some points where they're... You know, the party's talking to each other after they squat up, and they're like, why do you guys have those weird, like, crystals on your body? And they're they're like, I don't know, it's just fucking... We all have that. And so... Oh, so so it's very clear you can tell you're from that world, you're from this one. Yes, and then the the Kevis people... I I think it's Kevis. The gray skin people? Like there was one of the, the characters that's like the gray skin. The gray skin is uh, kind of an allusion to the old Mechon. Okay, cool. Like the the natural Mechon. Got it. So every character in this game is kind of an allusion to a past race, um, but the the people from Kevis have these black and blue discs all over their uniforms. And if you pay attention to Xenoblade Definitive, that's the same disc that gives the replica Monado its power. So they're summoning their weapons from an evolution of that technology. The Agnes people are just like hybrid blades that can naturally do it. And uh, there's a lot of like... they The guy that has it doesn't even understand why yet. But the, uh, the Xenoblade in this game, there's a lot of mystery surrounding With it. The Lucky Seven or whatever the fuck? Well, the, the it, Red Sword? Yeah. Um... <laughs> the blade of the Xenoblade game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's a point where uh, him and Mio are walking along. She's like, why does your sword glow? And he's like, I don't know. Let me tell you a different story about my sword. <laughs> and um, that... Like, I don't know. I got this bitch off a dead guy. <laughs> that's where it gives you the backstory of why it's called Lucky Seven. Because the Lucky Seven is a different sword. Just forged by like seven fucking sick Nopon that's given to you by Riku... Hell yeah. Who has the deepest voice in the game <laughs> and is a little no-pawn with a spiky afro. Hell yeah. But uh, the Lucky Seven is a katana with um, kind of the Monado circle forged into the blade at the very bottom. And he's like, hey man, I know you can't summon a weapon. Take this one. It's really fucking good. It can cut anything. And then Noah's like, no. <laughs> and then he's like, don't be a bitch and just take it. And then Noah's like, but I can summon a sword. And he summons the Xenoblade. And then everybody's like, what the fuck, man? You've been using a training sword this whole time? (laughs) And he's like, yeah. (laughs) And then he's like, okay, we'll put this sword inside that sword. He's like, okay. So there are points where um, it goes into the fusion technique thing. But uh, the sword kind of breaks itself apart and reveals the Lucky Seven. And the sword itself becomes like an Iron Man sleeve. Fuck yeah, it does. That's sick as fuck. It's really fucking cool. And the Lucky Seven is basically just like a Sephiroth cut anything you want in half move. So is Noah the protagonist like Rex and Shulk were? Yeah, it, much? it's kind of the way is, they're is doing it. Is it like a mix of Noah and... and it's and, Noah and Mio okay. because they, they are the off-seers. They see off the dead of their worlds. 
Um, because what it, what I base it off of it very very clearly seems like they are the Xenoblade One Two equivalent. Yeah. Of like, okay, Noah's very clearly the one, and Neo Neo Mio 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 is very clearly the two character, and it's yeah. like they're the leads that are going through. And but like, because I, I looked at Noah, and you're like, well, he's obviously the lead because he's got the red sword. Yeah. Because that's the that's the general gist of the Xenoblade worlds. And but, his uh, red jacket is really fucking tight. Oh, he looks like I'm gonna be real with you. I don't care if it's a, a distinct disadvantage. He's never changing classes from that. I mean that that's another nice thing I wanted to bring up. Even when you change they classes, got transmogs. Yes. Fuck yeah, they you, do. You can change the costume to any class costume that you want, regardless of which class it is. After a certain point in the game, because it's like, oh, you can change your clothes now. Okay, good. Because that was the best part of Xenoblade Definitive Edition, where you're like. So here's this armor. I'm putting only the best shit, but my character looks like ass. Let me go and deck myself out in what I like. Yeah, and I, I did buy the expansion pass, obviously, because mm. I'm that kind of motherfucker when it comes to Xenoblade. I'll probably buy it if there's enough good shit in it. Yeah, right now it's just the one pack, which gives you a, a fuckload of items. Oh, hell yeah. And then some alternate costumes, which are um, like the regular costumes that they have for their normal classes, but uh, color-swapped. Okay. So Noah gets like a yellow shirt with a navy blue jacket nice. and it's like gray pants. It looks really nice. Um, but there's also another system in there that I wasn't expecting. They finally brought back um, Amiibo functionality. And I was like, well, there's only one Xenoblade Amiibo because Pyro and Mithra are taking fucking forever to come out. Let me go scan my Shulk. I scanned the Shulk. And it just gave me the Monado. Fuck yeah, it did. You can apply the Monado to your sword fighter classes instead of the regular okay, like so, Lucky 7. So we have to make a detour before we get to Matt's house. I'm going to need to scan that bitch <laughs> in the Xenoblade. But that, that's another thing is that when the Pyra and Mithra come out, you're gonna get you, the swords. you'll get the Aegis swords. Fuck yeah, so dude. So that's really cool. And I hope if you scan both of them, you get the ultimate Numa sword. Because that would be really dope. Oh, yeah. They're two different Amiibos. I forgot. Mm -hmm. Do you think... I, I will say that uh, Xenoblade 2, again, say what you will about it, is, I've said it, the, the worst part is the character writing. Everything else, character designs on point. The swords are fucking fire. I, I think... Ev the, like they Everything about that game, it's like it should have hit. But then the one thing that I play JRPGs for, like is, which is the characters, didn't. Well, that, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, the main characters in Xenoblade 2 are the worst written. But then you get into, yeah. like, J Jin, Jin's Malos. Cool. Well, that's why Torn is so fucking good. Because, like, all right, they took some of the best written characters of 2 anyway and go, but here's their thing. And you're like, fuck yeah. Yeah, everyone that's in Torna when 2 is around, like the terrorist group Torna, is really well written. Um, what's his name? Mikhail? Mm -hmm. Fucking love Mikhail. They did really good with him and Torna, too. Um, Torna just... Torna is what 2 should have... Because didn't Xenoblade 2 have development problems? Like, wasn't it rushed it or was, It was very rushed, and they were also still working on another game for Nintendo, so it was, like, a very small team. I wonder if they just... Because, like, that's what it feels like. Like, I love Nia, don't get me wrong, but it's very clear she's just, all right, the Sundere. And, like, she doesn't really evolve from that, except for when she becomes a Blade, and you're like, oh... Yeah, but like, but that's why I know that's why they put Mio at the forefront of this game because it's they were Neo like, "What should have been Nia?" Yeah, in the, they too. They're like, it's "Here's them saying this is what we wanted for Nia," 
and it it works really fucking well so far. Right now in the game, this isn't a spoiler because it's prologue shit. Yeah, but she has three months until she dies. Hell, dude! Already, everything you're telling me about this game is because like, like Xenoblade Two. Like I was just like I didn't I like Xenoblade One. I just I wasn't gonna play Xenoblade Two yet. You got me to buy it, and then I hated you for it for like a week. Mm-hmm. But like, but so, now when you play three, you're gonna be so happy you had that experience. Well, because it's gonna make me love. Because based on what you're telling me, it's gonna make me love three even more. Because I'm like, fuck, that's what it is. Yeah, I'm now I'm now glad based on what you're saying is that okay, cool. Two was the fluke. Everything else is like top tier Xenoblade content. And if they make a four or do more Xenoblade games, hopefully they're on this level. Mm-hmm. Because again, everything about two top tier except for the fucking writing and now looking back I'd n- i never considered it like too big of a deal but after playing three obtaining all these gameplay systems this that late in the game is fucking ridiculous but in two a lot of it is like you start out the game and then there are side quests and the tutorials in three are fucking perfect oh i God. really have to point that out xenoblade 2's tutorials fucking suck doesn't tell you how to do anything i didn't know how to do a chain attack until chapter 10 and Xenoblade 3 is like okay we're gonna stop and you're gonna go through this with us it has a little pointer that shows you what to click on to do everything fun fact they did that in Torna and Definitive Edition (laughs) yeah because they were like oh we might have fucked this up a little bit (laughs) cause I remember playing Definitive Edition cause I had not played it on the Switch until I had gotten it cause I played the 3DS version and like buying Xenoblade again was like I'm gonna buy it but like I'll wait to play it finally play it right and immediately I'm like, oh my gosh, they're pointing shit. They literally like do the thing where like the whole screen goes black, but then the one box is like lit up. It's like, see this thing? Yep. See that button? Press it. Oh, you see this thing here? And one one thing I love about Xenoblade Definitive Edition, and I haven't played two in a long time to figure this out, they're not afraid to go, hey, like when, when you're in a position to attack, they highlight, go, use this one, do yep. this attack, do it now. Do they... That's another thing I want to get to, to Xenoblade 3, and we're going to be all over the place for this game. Uh, and this will be kind of like a big topic throughout multiple podcasts, but gameplay-wise, like how... So what is your party composition like? Is it like you can have three people, or is it like... You four? have all six of them. Oh, shit. And then a hero, if you have a hero available to so you. So how crowded does it feel? Like is it, it, doesn't, are, it doesn't feel very crowded at all, because the movement is way better than in 2. It's very yeah, Torna-like. There's a dodge button. Um, Fuck yeah, there is. It's it's like a dash, so you can get closer to other characters if you it, have like, like a, an AOE heal. Like remake kind of dash, where it's like it's not yeah. about dodging attacks; it's about area placement. Yes, cool. Um, it's very placement focused. So if all of your characters are spread out and trying to hit side attacks and back attacks, sometimes you have to choose who you're gonna heal. Um, and there's even a lot of strategy in placing buffs. Because all the buffs are pretty much AOE. Okay. So it's a circle around the caster. So a lot of times, um, one of your characters, the ogre class, will cast an attack buff. And you can cast, as a healer, an evasion buff. And so you have to try to like close them together and cast that so that you can get as many characters as you can into that like Venn diagram of effectiveness. Okay. Where your attack and evasion is both up. Um, chain attacks are really incredible. It's point based now. So basically, um, say you get a break action. Okay. You break them. That'll get you more points. 
and after you get to 100%, everything after that is going to boost your attack times like 175. So you get 175 points. And then uh, if you do that 100 points successfully, you'll get the ultimate attack for the character that you selected at the beginning. And then um, it, as long as you still have stuff in the meter, it's like, okay, overdrive, you can do it again with another character. And I've gotten a ton of full chains. They all feel really satisfying. Um and they did something from 2 and Torna that I really liked, where if you topple or daze or launch a, an enemy, it'll pause that for the chain attack so that the effect is still in command. Fuck yeah. So, like, if you, so if, if you, if you get, like, three... Person, yeah. There, it, like, pauses a little it bit. It pauses go, okay. them in the air, and the meter doesn't move so that you can get your full chain off while they're launched. Fuck yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fucking incredible. Every system is from another game, kind of, except for, like, well, I guess the fusion thing was kind of into a little bit, but here they go hog wild with it. Every fusion has a different skill tree that uh, I've been pouring shit into, just grinding and pouring shit into that. And I'm only about ten percent for each of them. And uh, those characters are limited time characters that you even have to build on their own to be effective. There's just so much shit to do, and it all feels satisfying. Leveling up feels good. Um, there's the cooking mechanic is back, yeah, so you can let's go. You can buff your attack and your exp gains. I saw the the case when you open it. It's like them at a campsite. Yeah, so cool. The campsite is really really nice because uh, they just introduced gem crafting, like in Xenoblade yep. One, but you don't have to go find a furnace. Thank God, Riku just has one. And he's like, all right, we stop at a camp and you got the shit for it. So, we'll make some so, so Riku's pretty much MVP, it sounds like. R Riku is the fucking MVP, man. He uh, he builds all their gear. He upgrades it. He gives Noah the lucky seven, <laughs> which can cut through fucking anything like hot butter. It's, it's He's fucking awesome. He's like my favorite right now. Are Him there... and Manana, who is like their uh, the Agnes Nopon. She's a lot like... Uh, Ricky's daughter, yeah, in Definitive Edition, but uh, they're they're okay. really adorable okay. together too. Let's be real here. This is going to decide if Xenoblade Three is is top tier. Can you squad up with a bunch of Nopon and merc the fuck out of enemies? Not yet. Okay, so so far, then Xenoblade One Definitive is still the best game we've had because of that feature alone. <laughs> yeah, I I did I hated uh, gathering. Well, actually, I'm not sure. Oh, because there's a Nopon Trader Guild that you meet in the first chapter where they're like, oh, find all of our members. And there's like 19 of them. And that's... So if you find all the members, you might get your... Call the boys in. And that's a very long-term quest. Yeah. Like, they're scattered throughout the world, and the quest level is like 55 when you start it. Jesus Christ. So it's, it's going to be a long run, but I think you might get that. And then I, I was looking at the classes, and there is a Riku class... Because um, I know he'll join the party and fight at some point. Mm. But I, I could see in one of the silhouette models that Noah gets his, like, fucking afro. Fuck yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Another question I have is, like, it, so Xenoblade 1, again, and I have to ask because I hated how it's dealt in 2. Is it very clear that characters have like obviously their motivations, whatever? Like how are how are they dealing with like relationships? So like they're very clear friendships, kind of enemies and like romances or early so far, obviously. So far. Are they doing a good job of like no not everyone wants to jump Noah's dick. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a very natural progression. Thank God. Because when it starts out, because um, that's what I, I liked about like I'm I'm cool with like a love triangle. Because that's what one of the things I did like about Xenoblade One was uh you know uh fucking can't for, remember the farm the childhood friend but Melia and her are like both kind of vying but Shulk very clearly has eyes for one. Yeah. And then you go to Xenoblade Two and it's just like everyone's thirsty for Rex and I'm like why. Yeah, but this I, this game, it's like okay, cool. Noah is Noah, like Mio is her own character. Everybody kind of thing, and it's very organic. Of like, oh, yeah, no, that could work. Friendships here, you know, these two are very obviously close. Th- like this this comedic duo here, like they do a good job of kind of that front. Yeah, they they do it extremely well. Um, when they when they all first kind of come together as a party and they start to go on this adventure. There's uh, there's a lot of animosity because obviously they've Clearly. been fighting each other their whole yeah. lives, but um, they they know the characters know who they are, but they don't quite know what they want because they've okay. never been free of a military shackle, and they've never really thought, well, what else is there in this world? Um, so right away, Senna and Lands, who are kind of the big like heavy weapon users, mm-hmm. Senna's like a big hammer. And lands is like the big shield sword, so he's a blocker. But they they really take to each other very quickly because they're like, "Oh man, you're really strong." And then they're like, "Oh, let's see who can do the most push-ups and shit." Fuck yeah, it is. And then uh, Tyon, just hit big himbo energy. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, it, yeah. it's really cute. And uh, there's a lot of times they're like, "Oh, I bet I can get over there faster than you," and all this shit. But it's like they're very clearly fast friends. Yeah. Um, See, that's what I fucking need. Yeah. Like, I don't need every character wanting to jump someone's dick. Like, I like the idea of just like, "Hey, you're cool. You're cool too." And like, I love I. Like, oh man, that's why I love uh like Yakuza Seven, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Dragon does a really good job of formulating those friendships. And yes, there are romance options, but it's an option. You don't have to formulate it. You can you not do that, but. Kasuga as just this big dumb himbo energy protagonist is just like everybody's friends but not in the really shitty way Rex does it yeah <laughs> it's just in a way where it's like friend zoning <laughs> yeah well uh, I fucking hate Xenoblade 2's characters god dang it but like Kasuga's just a nice guy and like is willing to help out and like also is willing to see people like for who they are and do this whole thing and it's, the way he's written is a lot better I like but there's very clearly even in the party dynamic Oh, these two characters are gonna get along. It's very clear that Nanba and like uh, fuck Adachi, the the cop, like a little bit of animosity there because one's a homeless guy, mm. one's a cop, and the other one oppresses homeless yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> so like they they do a good job there, and like you see the build naturally of no, we're friends, we're yeah. we're that brother in arms. That and that's what I feel like Xenoblade Two missed, where Xenoblade One builds really well because like obviously Ryan and Shulk friends forever. So they're close. Mm-hmm. Um, Dunban being the kind of mentor guy, cool. But then, you, like, Shulk's a nice guy, so, like, he obviously wants to help people. But then, you know, you get Ricky, you get uh, Melia. Like, uh, I cannot remember the sniper's name, her. Uh, I want to say it was, like, Shell or something. Her. Like, you can tell immediately, like, okay. Sharla. Sharla. Ryan, I loved her. Like, Ryan immediately is like, I kind of like this girl. Mm. And then, like, but you get really cool character names between her and Shulk. And like I, that's one of the best things about Xenoblade One was like build an affinity long enough. Here's a little affinity uh, scene. Yep. And it's with all of them. Like everybody gets one. And like I love that so much. That's that's one of the things that I really like about this game is that uh, it finally gives you an area where you can 
go around and talk to other people. You can focus in on conversations that you're not a part of to gain information. And then at campsites, there's a discuss option. So you can talk about what every character feels about these things that they heard and what they should do about it. And then they all kind of come to the conclusion, okay, well, maybe we should leave this alone or maybe we make this a quest. And that's really cool. Um, one of my favorite characters so far is Tyon, who is the the analytical strategist of the the Agnes group. He's the very clearly he's got the glasses. paper bird, yeah. yeah. But um, the, the the nerd of like, oh yeah, you're the Uriu of this group. You're yeah. He, he is literally Uriu. Fuck yeah. But uh, it starts out and he's like, we're fucked. This is not gonna work. I don't fucking want to hang out with you guys. <laughs> Uh, like we just need to go or we're all going to be fucked and you all need to listen to me. And then his relationship with Noah is kind of one of the best ones so far because Tyon will like keep a lot of stuff played close to his chest. Yeah. I've seen a little bit of his backstory now and I kind of understand why, but, um, he plays a lot of things close to his chest and he's like, you guys just need to listen to me. And then Noah's Noah usually comes in and he's like, well, let's talk about it, figure out what everyone wants to do and how we can help you do this best. Are you telling me we have a competent protagonist? Yeah, Noah. Fuck yes. Noah, a lot of the times, is the voice of reason. I need that in a JRPG because a lot of times the main character is Bumbling Idiot or the player insert. Mm-hmm. I like that they've Xenoblade through is like, no, 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 but what if he, what if, and hear me out, what if he a was a full good? character? <laughs> yeah, Noah. Noah so far, Noah and Mio have had the most interesting interactions because they are the first to fuse into that Evangelion Unit 1 looking motherfucker. But um, when that happens, you see all of the other person's memories. Oh, hell yeah. And uh, Pull some Pacific, Pacific Rim sh- kind of shit. It, it's not like you automatically well, yeah. remember them as part of your memories, but you see their life as it's happened. Mm. And um, after that, they're like, we're the same. So a lot of it is them talking and getting to know each other better and it's not romance yet but you can see the seeds of one it, being is it, planted is it one of those where it's like you're cool with it going either or of like the closest brother sister bond you could ever have or a romance where it's like I'm hype either way I, I mean it or do you think it is going to be like no it feels just... like it go it could go either way at the point that I'm at but I think they're very clearly working towards a romance just because her based on what you said of like her three months she has left to live that could be tragic as fuck and I'm here for it yeah and there's a lot of points in the game she keeps a diary every day and <laughs> fucking nerd yeah <laughs> But in the diary pages, you can see like the time that she's crossed off that she's got left. Mm, and that's so fucking sad. Yeah, and it goes into her narrating, and she's like, "I didn't understand him at first, but after a while, we really like started to understand, and we realized that we really were kind of the same, and just being one." And uh, one one of the best moments in the prologue is they're both offseers, so they play flutes and send off the souls of the dead in combat. And um, I remember, remember that first trailer, just the flute thing. And I'm like, oh, Monster Hunter. And then you see like mechs and you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, they they play together to send off a character that kind of affects all of the party, even when they were enemies. Hell yeah. And you realize for the first time that all this time they've been playing, they've been playing two halves of the same song. Oh, fuck yeah. And it's just like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a good game. <laughs> I... You've pretty much sold... I'm glad I bought this earlier, because, like, you sold me on this game, and now, like, I'm going to be playing Judgment and being like, I want to play fucking Xenoblade. Like, 
So I'm, I might stop judgment. I don't know. We'll see. But like this... every time I get a spare minute now, I'm like, I've got time for Xenoblade. And I'll just pop it open and grind or do like a side quest. Because that was me the first time. Because like I, I never beat Xenoblade until I beat it on the 3DS because mm-hmm. of the portability. And like I, it was the same thing. Brought that bitch to school, flipped that shit open, playing it. Like lunchtime, I went to the library, I would just chill in the back. Like Xenoblade 1 ate my life up because of, I, again, how how much it felt like classic Final Fantasy in a way, at least in this terms of story and characters. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm so glad this is taking a page from that in Torna in terms of its character writing and like the, the world building. Cause like, again, I'm going to beat the dead horse in that I don't like two's characters. And I think most people can agree that is its weakest point. Doesn't mean that it's bad. I, there were moments that I got emotional in Xenoblade two and was like, well, damn, this is kind of hitting, but I like to hear that they're kind of, going more into like less anime cliche and more just like good story writing. Yeah. Which is what I, which is what I want. Cause that's what Xenoblade one felt like. Yes. There were a lot of cliches and one could argue bad voice acting from anytime Ryan opened his fucking mouth. That that's one of the things that I really wanted to highlight is Noah as a character is by far the best protagonist that Xenoblade has had outside of maybe Laura. I think Laura is on par but um, like he he feels like he was written for a '90s like SNES PS1 RPG. Fuck yeah! Because he's very like he knows who he is. He understands certain things about the world, and he wants to learn more. And he's often the most mature in the party. Even Tyon sometimes will get pissed off, and Noel will have to be like, "Look, guys, we need to think about this rationally." Like they there's a point in the game where they kill an enemy. And uh, Noah pulls out his flute and lands is like, you're going to send that fucker off? No, we're not letting you do this. And the whole party agrees, except for Mio. She's just kind of watching from the sideline. And then Noah's like, yeah, but like when he died, it felt the same as our comrades. So he starts playing anyway. And then Mio like, you know, goes up and joins in and they send off this guy who was previously their enemy because he was alive. And it, it's just so fucking good. He's amazing. I love that they're they're hitting adult themes in a way that's like well within the rating system they have. And yeah. to, to me that to me that shows like how good writing doesn't need like a rating system because you could art like Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door has great writing. Yeah, it's like rated E ten, mm-hmm. and it's like dark. It's got like legitimate like existential dread and like just all this really cool stuff with it. But it's like again the writing team was fucking great. Xenoblade. Again, it, it, it's it's one of the things with like Xenoblade Two. I'm like, it very clearly had to be how rushed you guys were. Yeah. Because Xenoblade One, top tier. Xenoblade Torna, fucking great. I cried. Xenoblade Three, based on what I'm hearing, is the writing is top tier, and, and the world building's great. So I'm glad to see this. But I I do have one question. Mm-hmm. Earlier this year, you put Elden Ring as probably your game of the year. Based on where you are now, do you think Xenoblade could uproot that for you? Or do you think Elden Ring is still like... Elden Ring is a very unique experience, and it's it's an incredible game. It's the best in the genre. Like It brought people into Souls that never even considered playing those games. And it's it's going to go down in history as just what it is. But Xenoblade is my kind of fucking game. Yeah. And it... It takes everything that I liked about the previous Xenoblades and other RPGs in general and things that I didn't like 
and it meshes them all together and fixes the ones that people had gripes with. Like the the whole being able to change your clothes regardless of what armor you're wearing is huge for me. Which should be in every game. Yeah. But like the uh the the system for gym crafting in the first game I didn't really like too much because there was too much like variance no and stuff that you could make. I was not like any time I did not craft too many gyms, I'm like fuck. Yeah, but in this game I just relied on the gyms that were on armor that I picked up. Yeah. But in this game, it gives you uh five of each kind that you can get. And then once you craft the first level, you can craft a second level if you have the materials for it. You can craft the next level. What? And you can do you can do one of each. So it's not like, oh, I have fifty billion evasion up gyms because that's what I had. It's like, no, you you find the materials for this. And then you can make it, and then it ramps up. You can build the next level of this. And there's, like, maybe okay, to like be fair, 20 though, different gyms. Playing playing uh, Xenoblade 1 and all those evasion ups, I barely got hit. There were times where I'm fighting places, I'm fighting monsters. I'm like, oh, no, that your attack missed. But oh, that, no, it missed again. But Oh, the, no, it's going to miss again. The thing about making gyms in that game is... Is you wanted to build your characters You wanted to build your characters style, yeah. based on their play style, and the gyms that you already had, you wanted to make better ones. And it, was, it really fucking sucked, because you had to go into your inventory, see what you had, and then go back into the thing and see, like, okay, what can I make? Is it going to be better than this? But in this, it's like, no, you already have that one. Just make the menus in Xenoblade 1 are very bad. The menus in Xenoblade 3 are fucking perfect. That's fucking They're cool. so goddamn good. Okay, to be fair, though, I my to me, Persona 5 has just the perfect menu in both aesthetically I, I just and mean like, things there. But, like, yeah. Functionality-wise, aesthetically, they're also very good. Okay. Because good. it's, like, kind of the, the uh, iris thing, but it's all done in, like, a blue like AI sort of thing. Um, you can view models just from the menu. Uh, there's, you can change how the actual pause menu looks because uh, there's kind of like a kingdom hearts thing where it's like, okay, you see the characters like that sort of thing. You can change the lineup of the characters to be more dynamic where they're yeah. all like in a row, like marching order. And you're looking down them and seeing their stats underneath each face. There's one where you can just do the kingdom hearts row it, it's very good. Do you remember the... I still... One of my favorite pause menus still this day is Final Fantasy Thirteens. I don't know why, but, like, because it was, like, the first, like, future Final Fantasy game, mm-hmm. and the, the, the pause menu being so sleek and, like, stylish, and every time you hit a character, it showed, like, a, like kind of a CGI gif of their uh, whatever, and I was like, hell yeah, this is really cool. And, like, just, like, the like the lineup of all the characters and their beautiful CG models. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite, like, pause screens. Persona 5, obviously, in style alone, takes the cake every time. But, like, yeah, dude, Xenoblade 3 is gearing up. If it doesn't hit Game of the Year, bet you pretty much RPG of the Year for sure. RPG of the Year for sure, but I'm, I'm pretty positive it's going to surpass Elden Ring. At least in your... In my eyes, yeah. at least. For my personal opinion... Yeah. I'll be playing this game for hundreds of hours. <laughs> I mean, I I'm beyond hyped to get to it. I my biggest problem with a lot of RPGs like this is obviously like how much time they go in, and you've seen how much I've been working lately. I'm like, I have no time. <laughs> but so that, that's also one thing that I like about Xenoblade is that uh, you can hop in, and it's very it's very much like an old PSP game, like where you can hop in. And you set your personal goals or you do a side quest and you're like, okay, my goal for this one is to build this gym or level up this character. And then you go and do it and it feels very rewarding and then you can stop. 
and then pick it up again later and it still feels just as rewarding and that's that's one of the biggest things for me is that doing the small things rewards you in a way that feels like stimulating in the brain and it a lot of a lot of rpgs that i've played it's like okay you leveled up good job that's it, it despite it being like one of my favorite series final fantasy in my opinion has been some of the weakest when it comes to like rpg mechanics despite it being like some of the best in storytelling yeah but like I would take like Yakuza 7's RPG mechanic over anything Final Fantasy's done because it rewards you very well. Like you can't like in, in a lot of Final Fantasies, I can just like hit A and be done with it. Mm-hmm. In Yakuza, you have to worry because it's like, okay, hit the move. Now there's a button prompt to make the move better. And you're like, fuck yeah. And a lot of it's timing. Some of it could be like press the buttons in a row or like whatever. And so like that alone makes it like, okay, cool. I, I have to be aware in even playing a turn-based game persona 5 obviously like the way it it presents turn-based combat is very stylish it looks good to do you're never bored like i was all down to do some sick fucking moves in persona 5 because it's like if i got like a one more like Mm -hmm. fuck yeah get him again and like doing like the special moves were super cool like and that that's what i like about xenoblade 3 it has all of that but it's more involved well, yeah, because like it, it's using the, like the MMORPG mecha- yeah, it's, like system. It's the active time combat system thing, and then a lot of times, like Noah starts out with Shulk's starting move set, pretty much. Yeah, which is a really solid starting move set. So uh, a lot of the game is like, oh, I gotta get next to this motherfucker, yeah, and then get behind him, yeah. <laughs> And then launch I mean, him up into the air. It's That was one thing I loved about Xenoblade 1 was like immediately you're like, all right, cool. So here's my move set. And it, you have enough moves to kind of teach you what to do and like yeah. positioning and all this other stuff. Um, I like the idea of like, okay, here's a, here's a move that aggros and you will get all of the attention. And so like I would go to Ryan, aggro immediately, jump to Shulk, hit him with a backslash. Like, And that's another thing that I really enjoy is that the AI in Xenoblade 3 is oh, some it's good. Of the, it's the best in the series. Because no. you'll you'll break a guy, and then if someone doesn't have the cooldown, they're like, all right, I got to fucking launch him. And then they immediately launch, and then another character that has daze, immediately their goal becomes, I have to daze them. So it's it's very, like, you build that shit up very quickly. Can you, is there a way, do you think, because of the AI, it, you would feel comfortable playing as just Noah? And probably still get, like, the same amount of, like, mechanical depth of, like, oh, I can just stick to Noah, I and mean, I, you, I don't have to worry. You can. That... That's a great thing about this game is in Xenoblade 2, you're constantly having to switch between characters, switch between blades because you have to change classes and everything. In this game, it's like, okay, you can be Noah and heal or be the tank or whatever. And you still get that satisfaction of, okay, I'm the main character, whatever. But even if I was just playing a sword fighter, I'd still feel fulfilled because the other party members are doing what I need them to do to make the most out of my role. Because that that was always something where it's like... There's so many times in Xenoblade 1 where, like, I'm like, oh, I don't have the move to, like, do the thing yet. Ryan, I know you have this move. <laughs> Fucking do it. Yeah, and a lot of Xenoblade 1 kind of pissed me off because it's like, well, I want to have Melia and Ricky's, like, affinity go up. Yeah. But they're both healers. I don't want to use them. And if them, I have yeah. them in the party, then I'm probably going to fucking die. <laughs> well, it's even worse. Is like, if you have them in the party and then you have Shulk and then, oh, no, here's a bunch of human characters and you're like, well, fuck. I can't do shit because the Monado won't do fuck all. And this is like, okay, we hear you, and we, we fix every aspect <laughs> of that. Every character can do everything that you want them to, and they're all in the party anyway. 
That's that's what gets me is like a full six person party like that's just running because like I think Yakuza is like a four person party mm-hmm. and obviously Persona and is also it, it's four still person. balanced which is really great like you you pretty much have to have the two attacker two tank two healer set up and if you offset it a bit things are gonna start getting fucky so like with so many characters on screen say you have four attackers there's not gonna be a lot of healing going around especially if you're far off. Like, maybe one guy's going to get his healing pod, but the rest of you are probably going to get fucked in this fight. So, it it's just so well balanced. I You've pretty much said all you need to say to sell, sell me on this shit, because, like, based on, again, what, what I'm hearing, it's like, cool, so they looked at all the Xenoblade games, and we're like, alright, so this is really good, this one's really solid, don't use that, that's bad, this is really cool, or we can take this, fix it, and it's really cool. It's like, it It feels like they literally were like... It, it, That's exactly what it is. Can you tell the dev time for this game was like all the time they needed? Yeah, definitely. And that this just goes into my faith bank for Monolith Soft. I think they're the best devs in the world, pretty much. Every game they make, they learn and they keep that experience, and they never stray from it. There's a reason that Nintendo was like, hey, we're making Breath of the Wild. Can you guys help us? And Smash Brothers, they go to Monolith Soft. Every time they need a big hitter to help with a big game, they always go to Monolith. And then when Monolith makes their big magnum opuses, it's like, okay, here you go. Here's the best game ever fucking made. It's one of those things where, like, you, because I can can bitch talk Xenoblade 2 all I want. You can, oh, wow. You cannot deny like what it did for the Switch and what it did for like Nintendo especially. It was it was the first big RPG on Switch and being such a robust one was incredible. And especially looking back now that we know that the, it, there was so much crunch with it, fucking incredible. Like they're they're one of those dev teams and I think it's the same thing with like Insomniac and Obsidian where it's like it doesn't matter how much time or people or whatever's on the project what's going to come out is going to be some a1 they like they absolutely know what they're doing and they never overextend even though there is so much fucking shit in all of their games it's like okay this is what we can do let's do it well well in that i think what they they do such a good job is like there are stuff that i didn't use in xenoblade one but i didn't feel like i was missing anything yeah and like I think that's good because it's like a lot of times you'll go through a game and go, I feel like I'm not utilizing everything. And you're like, fuck, I'm, I'm missing this. Thing. But like Xenoblade 1 is like, use it. I mean, if you don't, you're not going to miss out, but like it's there. And if you do go into it, you're like, okay, you get a little more out of it, but you're not missing the point. Like Xenoblade 2, same thing. It's like, oh yeah, you want to do this whole blade switching thing and all this really cool, like here. And then, but then there's all this other content of like extra mechanics and things, but like, I don't have to use them. If you if you get really good and really love this one system or these couple systems, just use that. And you go through the whole game doing it. Like I barely did any gym crafting in Xenoblade One because it's like it sucked. And that that's one thing that they really have a leg up on when it comes to two because building out affinity charts in that game fucking sucked. It yeah. was like you have to gather thirty of these flowers that grow in this one spot, and there's only three little nodes you can pick up. Three little nodes every two fucking hours. You're like, I hate this. I hate this so much. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Xenoblade 3, it's like, okay, you can build up and get the classes for the other characters just by having them fight next to each other. 
and they're always fighting next to each other, so it builds naturally. I wonder if they looked at Fire Emblem for that, because like Fire Emblem's whole thing was like, hey, are these two next to each other? I think they, cool. I think they definitely took some pages out of Fire Emblem. Because man, book. the amount of times that I I would be like, I need you two to like level up the support, so just stand your own one space together. Yeah, just do your thing, and like I, I it would fuck up levels because like the the main guy's getting more of the levels, but it, I'd still be like, yeah, but you're getting affinity. There we go. Yeah, and they're uh, like they. I don't know how to really accurately describe it, but in Xenoblade 2, it's like, okay, you can level up your attacks and you can level up your, um, your affinities. They both take vastly different things to do. In Xenoblade 3, it's like, okay, you go through the story, you naturally are pretty much leveling everything up, and then there are these things where it's like, okay, you do a side quest, you get a couple no-pawn coins. Um, maybe you'll find like a rare chest, no-pawn coins. You can use those no-pawn coins to go into what you're trying to build, whether it be a class or one of the fusions or, um, you know, just whatever, leveling gear up and all that shit. Uh, and it's like, okay, well, if you don't have enough points, you can use some of these no-pawn coins to kind of put it on the level that you need it to be. And it, it just feels so much more fluid than having to run around and gather flowers and shit. It's that, just great. I will always take stuff like that over fetch quest things because like that was when i first saw like the hey go gather this i'm like go fuck yourself that's another thing i wanted to mention um xenoblade 3 takes fetch quests and flips them on their head there are these things called um request cards yeah which are under your like side quests where um it's it's like each card is a different character that needs different supplies and they need the supplies constantly. So as you're just running around the world picking up these little nodes, which is another thing that I like better than Xenoblade 2, you'd have to stop, press a button, and then wait for the things to explode from the ground and pick them up. Xenoblade 3, they're just lying around. You walk past them, pick them up. You don't even have to hit a command, and you're that, going. That was my favorite thing Last of Us 2 added was like, do you want Ellie to reach down, pick something up, look at it, and then put it? Or do you just want her to walk past, do a little arm fling, and boom, it's in your inventory? Grab arrows out of dudes' heads and keep crawling? Well, like, well, that was the best thing is you can go, oh, do you want it to just automatically happen? You don't have to button press? Fuck yeah. And you're just like, yeah, crawling all of a sudden, full arrow stock. You're like, let's fucking go. But, like, all these little acorns and shit that you pick up, like, in Xenoblade 1 and 2 that you never fucking use for no. anything. Um, I just Xeno have a bunch of random shit that I just sell. Yeah. In Xenoblade 3... You can sell that stuff, but then there are the request cards where it's like, okay, uh, I need like three acorns and a fucking apple. And it's like, you can keep filling that out, but every time you do, it'll give you 20 EXP and maybe another reward. Hell yeah. So you can get rewards for these shitty items that aren't just, oh, here's more money. It's like, you can level up that way. You can get more Nopon coins to level up your skills and everything. Like there, there's so much more to the little shitty items that you would never do anything with in this game and it's just fucking awesome it makes me want to pick up everything <laughs> i because that was the thing is like I, i'm gonna be real with you picking up shit in xenoblade one was just because i'm like ooh shiny and i would walk past it just to get it but like i didn't use half of that shit i would like probably used about 10 percent of the shit i picked up realistically mm -hmm. everything else is just like all right i'm at the shop uh sell 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 sell, sell. like i didn't give a fuck and that's another nice thing uh in the Xenoblade games, there are items that you can pick up that are just meant for selling. When you go into a merchant, they automatically buy that shit. Fuck yeah. God dang it. Yeah. Quality of life up the ass. Let's go. Yeah, everything has been streamlined. All right. So I think there's really one more. I, might, I mean, we could go on forever, but I, I think next week's discussion of this will be because I've played it. 
And I might, and it'll be deeper because I've gotten farther. I, I'll, I'll probably if I if I play it enough because I don't gr- I know I don't grind nearly as much as you do, so I will probably catch you'll, up story wise. Definitely get to at least mid chapter three by the next time we do this. So uh, one thing I do want to ask is, do you think this is a game you can pick up without playing one and two? Or absolutely okay. You yeah. obviously will get more out of it if you play one and two, but this is like enough of like a <laughs> like standalone. Well, as so far standalone that you can like. Definitely. Because I know this is supposed to be, what, the culmination of 1 and 2? Yes, but it's also very much its own world, despite being an amalgamation of the other two. Because the characters don't know anything outside of their military lives. And if you had started this game not knowing anything, you would have learned with the characters and everything would have felt natural. And you don't have to, like... It doesn't fucking wink at you all the time. Yeah. Like, uh, there's a scene where you see Queen Melia... And she's wearing the mask and everything, and they're like, oh, that's the queen. And um, it's kind of doing the off-sending for someone that made it the full ten years, and they're yeah. playing the flutes, and she's, like, praising the ashes as they fly up. In the background, you realize the city that they're in is Alchemoth. Oh, shit. And, like, that scene still hits just as hard, even if I hadn't known, oh, hey, that's the fucking Alchemoth castle. It, it's it's just done so well. Do you, would you recommend for people who have played Xenoblade before, like just deep dive a YouTube thing of like here's here's a quick reminder of the shit you probably should know, or would you say because like I know it's been a minute since I played Xenoblade two and I can I can tell you like the main shit, mm-hmm. but like actually sitting there going like well yeah but like Xenoblade two's like writing and then like the the sprinkles of like lore and shit like I think if you've never played Xenoblade and you want to play 3 predominantly play through 3 and then go back and watch that shit because it's just going to be icing on the cake for you right now the fact that Melia was like one of Shulk's party members and the rifle aired Alchemoth and all that shit doesn't fucking matter <laughs> at all uh, it's shown Nia to me one time and in that context of that scene it's just like okay she's the queen giving orders you understand you understand that there's something fucky about the queens because you know, they just saw an old person for the first time and they're like, what the fuck's wrong with his face? Why is he so, has he lived more than 10 years? So it's, yeah. I'm, I'm very interested. Uh, cause so I have had one thing spoiled, uh, for me, which has been a picture mm-hmm. and it retroactively made me hate Xenoblade's characters more because of what it means. <laughs> But I'm very interested in, because in, I remember like the whole thing of like, oh, you know, like at the end of Xenoblade 2, it's like, this is your world, you must continue it or whatever. From that standpoint, it makes sense in a lore reason, but because of my biggest gripe with Xenoblade 2 being what it is, just looking at that picture filled me with rage where I'm just like, God, fuck. Oh, another thing that you'll like, uh, I've seen more of the Agnes technology now. Mm-hmm. It's all... Uh, Torna based Let's like aesthetically it's all like samurai futuristic samurai shit it's amazing this is the coolest like aesthetic like mm-hmm. let's be real like that's why Re- Re- Metal Gear Rising is so cool because like what's better than a samurai fucking yeah. robot samurais yeah it's fucking awesome but yeah uh, I'd say probably from that point yeah go play Xenoblade 3 if you haven't absolutely I- I'm about to start it uh, but like Anything else you want to say before you end off this podcast? Because, like, I think Xenoblade 3 already based... And, again, you are definitely the Xenoblade 3, like, fan. I'm a huge fan of 1, really like Torna, and 2 is fine. I, I'm, I'm going to stop just hating it forever, but, like, 2 is there. I, li- I like I, I it. I think after you play 3, 
you'll have more of an affinity for two. It's it's kind of like the Star Wars effect where it's like oh the prequels prequels whatever. are kind of whatever. Clone, and then, you watch Clone Wars. <laughs> Xenoblade Three is the Clone Wars <laughs> for Xenoblade. I don't know, man. That picture I saw was just like fuck. I hate this more, but we'll see. Maybe maybe if I fully play it and we'll see. We'll, we'll, in context of the scene that picture's in, I'll I'll like it. But yeah, I I saw that. And I just went, God dang it! You doubled the fuck down. But even then, it's like, no, I, I, I don't know. You you don't know what I'm talking about, but I will say it makes sense for lore reasons. Mm-hmm. But I hate that it makes sense for lore reasons. All right. But yeah, go play Xenoblade Three. Yes, that's all I need to say. Just <laughs> play that shit. John Cartwright posted this thing on Twitter that was just a picture of his Switch friends list, and it was like the the three rows that it shows you on the screen and every single one of them was Xenoblade Chronicles three and all of them had gone in and like bought the little profile pictures, which I'm super fucking happy about. They finally added to the Nintendo online thing where you can pay platinum points to get different, uh, customizable profile pictures. What was that platinum points thing for the, that I showed you? Wasn't it like the different, the, uh, cover arts or whatever? Yeah. You can buy the cover arts and print them out or you can enter the Xenoblade three sweepstakes, which is like a backpack and a water bottle and stuff. But um, I'm saving all my platinum points because I'm trying to buy every single item that they put up for the Xenoblade profile pictures. Mine's already been changed to the um, the cat fusion with like this gold and red fiery background. Yeah. They all look super cool. And I can't wait for the Pyra and Mithra Amiibos to come out. I'm just surprised. Those, I, I love, by the way, that instead of putting those out or doing like, let's try something else, they just went... All right, so let's re-release male Byleth again. Yeah. Because, like, how many people were like, we want female Byleth in Sakura going, nah. They also delayed... uh, The the, the last wave of Amiibo that was supposed to come out was supposed to be Min Min, Alex, and Steve. And they delayed Alex and Steve, so now it was just like, okay, Min Min's out today. But, like, that makes me think, okay, well, now Pyra and Mithra are going to take even longer. Yeah. And it's really surprising to me that they didn't make a Xenoblade Amiibo series because they did it for Fire Emblem. They had the two-pack of... Because they had the ones for... They've had Amiibos for every major Fire Emblem game except for Three Houses, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, they... They kind of switch off, like, if the character's in Smash, then they count that as the Fire Emblem Amiibo. Yes, yeah, but, like, I mean, like, they're, like... Yeah, you're right. Because I know they, they also Shadows have, of Valencia got Alm and Celia. Yeah, in the two pack. And yeah. I really wish they had done that exact thing for Noah and Mio. That would have been cool. Or make, I, make like the Magnamalo one where it's bigger, but do the fusions. Hell yeah. That would have been so cool. I I am definitely going to be starting this game tonight or while we're at Matt's house. I don't fucking know yet. You should definitely pop it up on the TV and start it at Matt's. I would I'd, love to see your I'd reaction to the prologue. I'd be down because like the Xenoblade, it's one of those weird things. Like one it has such a special place in my heart for being like one of my favorite RPGs I've played of all time. And then you made me play too. And that probably helps. Doesn't help my distaste of it. Cause I'm like, I spent fucking 90 bucks on this stupid ass collector's edition. Granted, great steel book. Yeah, um, uh, and the first switch steel book. I still own it. I don't know if it's up, if it's up there, but it's, I, yeah. But, like, I was still just like, man, fuck this game. Like, I, li- I liked the game. I-, I can I can safely say, like, my biggest gripe, yeah, is the character writing. But, like, everything else was fine. But, like, I remember playing Torna. And I've said this on the podcast, but I was like, fuck. 
I mean, I have the season pass, so I might as well, but I really don't want to fucking do more two shit because it's going to be like, oh, now it's a prequel and we're going to find out that Jin was the harem protagonist all along. And I'm like, fuck off. And I start playing and I'm like, Jin is punished snake. Dude, I would, no, dude, I start playing and I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, okay. And I literally, I literally played like through like the prologue of Torn or whatever. And I'm like, okay, it's a fluke. This was just a really good intro. It's going to drop off. Play the next part. I'm like, it's next part. It's going to fall off soon. And like, by, I rolled credits and went, Oh my gosh. Yo, we back? Yeah. You telling me Xenoblade wasn't like a one good game and a shit sequel? Dude, the, the last scene of Torna where they find the refugee camp and they're like, oh, it's going to be okay. But then the troops start coming in the <gasps> floors behind them. It's so fucking hard. <sighs> and that... Uh, Dude, I, I'm sitting here my fucking Smash Pro Control and I'm just like, what do I feel like the end of Crisis Core now? Like, yeah. it had that same like gut feeling of me where I'm like, fuck. <laughs> um... I, I do want to mention one more thing not related to Xenoblade before we go. I did a deep dive on Metal Gear Solid 5 and the nuclear disarmament that was supposed to have taken place. Um, I I went down a full thing because a lot of the themes in Xenoblade 3 are kind of Metal Gear-esque where it's like we're fighting and being manipulated and someone else has always been pulling the strings kind of thing. I went down a huge rabbit hole about this, and Konami made uh, disarmament completely impossible. So the whole, the legend of chapter three, the cutscene that got leaked, um, is impossible to obtain because Konami, for every server of the game, has put in dummy nukes that no one can get to, that are eternally on the server, and after someone did they completely disabled the cutscene forever from every version of the game and the phantom nukes are still in there someone created a bot just yeah. to destroy nukes on the ps3 server and there were still 40 or so nukes that they couldn't get to and that was because konami made it physically impossible to do so they played us like a damn fiddle so pretty much fuck konami like usual yeah yeah that's how it goes <laughs> i fucking hate peace like... is unobtainable <laughs> piece is really unattainable because the corporation said fuck off yeah konami is the patriots <laughs> uh that'd be a dude if konami wants to get my money again just like resident evil 2 remake that that full fucking series i, I mean they've been talking about doing it for one for years now so they we'll, should we'll see i mean that, i just hope it's fox engine well that not even just fox engine like could you imagine like if it's the fucking engine for death stranding Whatever that is, because that's a PlayStation engine. And if I would say if PlayStation got it, I would love for... Honestly, Metal Gear would... would I think it works better for PlayStation. There have been rumors floating around that, that they're going to do... Gonna do it. Well, that they're going to do a collection, like the the PS3 uh, Snake collection that had yeah. just every game, even to the, even uh, like the, the NES, NES ones. Yeah. And then four all the way up to four. Um, just now do a collection with five. Yeah, th there's been rumors that they're going to do that this generation. I would and say that they're working on it. If they could figure out a way, I'd say do it in kind of the same way that like Mass Effect did it, where okay, you really work on one, two, and three. Yeah, because I mean and they the re like four, I, four I think would hold up. It's basically just a movie. Five obviously just port that bitch, and then like I think the the most realistic way for them to do it is take the Twin Snakes version from the GameCube. 
and redo all the graphics and models in that well, game. Because that was, I think that's the best way to play Metal Gear One. It, it definitely is. Like that. That to me was like I remember. I never beat it because again, I think Metal Gear is very much rated M for not just like the content, but like. You got to be a fucking adult to figure out how to fucking play these games. Yeah, you got to smoke cigarettes canonically and shit in different places and stuff. I remember, and fuck women. Yeah, I all things that I didn't do as a 12-year-old boy. Yep. No, that I yeah. Metal Metal Gear needs a resurgence for sure. But uh it needs a revengeance. We had the revengeance and it was glorious. Yeah. HD remake that bitch. Make a second one, please. They're never gonna. I wish though. That would, dude. That would. That would. I would fuck every game. I'd drop everything that I'm doing to pre-order and play that bitch. Yeah. But uh, yeah. This is actually this podcast has been on longer than I thought it would. But yeah, Xenoblade Three, which it's is just the fucking topic. Within the first two chapters, there's so much to talk about. Well, and I that makes me excited for like the next chapters because I'm like, oh fuck, what does that mean? And for? the cutscene action. Where in two it was pretty good, and then there were some cutscenes where it was like god tier anime shit. Uh, I've had a couple of those up to chapter three, and it's just like this is the hypest fucking cutscene ever made. I'm, I'm fucking excited. Yeah. All right, boys. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can follow us on SideQuest underscore podcast, where you can get our merch link in bio. Yep. And uh, all the links there. For like, I think are we trying to get a link tree set up? Yeah, I was thinking about doing that tonight while we're at Matt's. It yeah. shouldn't be too hard. So we should get a link tree, which will send you to all the different podcast places you can listen to us. And the merch and the Instagram. Merch, obviously Instagram. We'll get more stuff. Like, I'll probably make a Twitter at some point, but, like, I just hate Twitter. I, I one of my, one of my Twitters got hacked. Like, did I tell you I had to delete a full, one of my, one of my emails, like, full emails, because it got hacked? Yeah. So I deleted an entire email address that then I had to go and retroactively switch because that was the email that my switch was uh, connected to, so I had to push that into my old email and like that a whole thing. Dude, it was a fucking nightmare of a few three days. Now I'm just like moving everything around because I'm like, fuck, someone got in. Yeah. And they kept making Twitter accounts. Like it was, I literally like a lot of the emails are just like, hey, you're about to deactivate a Twitter account, and then, like a couple days later, thank you for making a Twitter account or what, however long the deactivation process is. But it was like they just kept making Twitter accounts and all this, all this. Other. I'm like, what the fuck are y'all doing? So I just deleted it because I'm like, I don't want I, that. Seems sketch as fuck. Yeah. But um, we'll get we're gonna get a TikTok, Twitter. I keep saying it, but like it is gonna happen at some point. Um, I think at some point we're gonna like put the podcast on hold and like really kind of break down what you know what we want to do, where we want to go with it. Do probably get a point where we can do video. And that's the big one for me right now, because I, I really want to start recording us doing some gameplay stuff and putting that out, because I think that would be really good. And then figuring out how to convert the uh, the actual podcast itself to video format, too. Because, like, I, I want to put the podcast on TikTok. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really good, especially if we can work the algorithm a bit and get our stuff out there. Because, like, a lot of us... Matt talk- might be able to help us out with that, clipping moments that he hears that he likes we could just put them in his audios and shit put them in his audios with the csgo like racist things yeah. <laughs> or now i'm seeing a lot of it is a uh, fucking what is it called uh subway surfer or whatever subway surfer minecraft obstacle courses and csgo obstacle courses are the move we should just put our podcast on on top of that shit yeah those get insane amount of views 
just because it's like, oh, there's something satisfying to watch in the background while you listen to this thing. That might be the way we do it, but we should, we could put it to those, obviously. But like, we could also honestly just, if we can find a way to record it, record like like if, if we're talking about Xenoblade, do like Xenoblade Combat. Yeah. If we're talking about like Chainsaw Man, put like the fucking anime trailer going through or something. Oh yeah. We could we could definitely figure it out. But that's the plan. We're we're gonna. I I think at some point we'll we'll put a stop and we'll do like a season two of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's at some point It'll I want to be s- like Chainsaw Man Arc Two and I won't be in it. It's gonna be me and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be Matt and Matt's alter ego. <laughs> <laughs> no, this time it's with Tyler. <laughs> Tyler's been podcasting a lot too. Yeah. What do we know his podcast name? I I don't. They did the shirtless podcast, but he hasn't told me the title yet. We need to hit him up and so we can plug him on the Instagram. Yeah. Because he doesn't use it anymore after the album came out. His, which by the way, album is still good. Salty yeah. Eyes. Go, Go check it out. Salty Eyes by Grindstone. It's really good. A band that I didn't think existed until the <laughs> album came out. I love, I love, what was it? When, when he like posted, you're like, wait, but this is real? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I re-listened to a bunch of our older episodes recently and they really like fucking got to me and made me laugh. I re-listened to the Dune one and Tyler's, <laughs> sense of surprise is still the most powerful I've ever felt. The Dune podcast will go down in side quest history is like probably one of the best like like you held that in for a week. <laughs> and that was Tyler's thing. He was like, you held that in for a week. <laughs> We've been talking about it. It's been a week. I just love cause like, oh man, go listen to that podcast. I can talk about it all day, but oh man. Thank you guys for listening. Peep the Instagram. We got all the shit there. Sidequest underscore podcast. And as always, I'm really feeling it. Fuck you.